Disputes U Street. We have a winter sport focused podcast with, of course, a little bit of football in. And to help me out with these topics, first we have Andy, go for Guy 05. Hello, everybody. And our other resident basketball preview writer, Steve or Zips of Accra. I may do previews, but I have a lot of thoughts. He has many thoughts. Excellent Twitter follow. Incidentally, at Zips of Akron. Andy, also an excellent Twitter follow at GopherGuy. Or what, Yorka or something? Failing at the button tonight. Uh, Yorka1982. Yeah, that. I'm a terrible Twitter follow at Mystery TG because I don't actually tweet. Uh, we're going to start by talking about the men's basketball. Though I want to foreshadow that we began recording this podcast right as the women's basketball team lost by one against Iowa. And so we're going to circle back to that in a bit. But we're going to focus on a team that's winning uh, and winning several at home, both Michigan and Penn State. Steve, why don't you quickly recap how well the men's basketball team has been doing? So we, uh, as you know, maybe five weeks ago, December 9th, the team lost to Iowa by 20, 72-52. It was at that time, Alex, that I you know, in hindsight, made a mistake, but basically wrote off the Golden Gophers. Uh, they had, had suffered several losses, not feeling good about it. What do they do? Turn around, beat Ohio State, and uh, now we're looking at them coming off a 2-0 homestand by taking down top 20 Michigan and former top 25 Penn State in fairly convincing fashion. I mean, they were hard-fought games, but um, we're seeing Daniel Oturu continue his in my opinion, player of the year season. Um, getting a lot of support from potentially the best point guard we've seen since Bobby Jackson, Marcus Carr. Uh, they're looking like a team that, yes, take, takes care of business at home, uh, lost a close one at Purdue, but maybe has turned a corner from the team we saw early in the season that was dropping close games to the likes of Butler, Oklahoma, DePaul. Do we potentially have a team destined for the NCAA tournament is what we're asking ourselves now after this homestand. Well, I'm not sure if that's yet an answer, though. I'm willing to go on record that at the moment the magic number should be seven. I actually personally think the magic number is six. I, I think that a 10-10 and 10 Big Ten season will get them in the tournament, but 11-9 and nine certainly will with the strength of schedule and the number of quad one wins they've had. A impressive bit to just underscore what Steve just said there is that since the Iowa game, Minnesota has averaged, without an adjustment at all, I'll talk about the adjustment here in a second, but just straight average, uh, at least 1.1 points per possession, which is excellent at the college basketball game, uh, in one, two, three, four, five of their last eight contests, uh, all of which, understandably, being wins. That is a fantastic number, an absolutely fantastic number. They're also doing that really with only two primary options on offense, and Marcus Carr and Daniel Oturo. I second Steve's view that Daniel Oturo is most certainly the player of the year. I understand that people like Luca Garza. He's a very good player, but I actually don't think it is particularly close right now. Daniel Oturo has been the best player in the Big Ten. He is uh, part of the reason he's been the best player in the Big Ten is that the players who we might have expected to step in as the primary two option, Peyton Willis and Gabe Kalsher, have absolutely not done that. Peyton Willis has been injured for and now recovering from injury, which is part of the reason that's the case. And Gabe Kalsher has been snake bit like nobody's business for the better part of this uh, month and a half. That is unhelpful, which means that 
while there is still floor spacing, Daniel Latour has regularly seen double teams. He's seen lots of defenses. He's seen different looks on defense. He's seen a lot of physical play from both starters and reserves who are trying to get him off the block, get him in foul trouble, get him frustrated, and going at him on defense on a regular basis. And in response to that, Daniel Latour is averaging 20 points a night, 12 rebounds, and almost three blocks a game with an assist and a steal thrown in for good measure. Uh, And those numbers look even better when you look at the per 40s. That is fantastic. I mentioned at the top there that the offense unadjusted is going a little over a point per possession. If you adjust it for strength of schedule, so for example, if you look at Ken Palm's metrics, Minnesota currently has the 16th best offense in the country. It has the fourth best offense in the Big Ten, which should tell you also how good the conference is in the Big Ten. Andy, if I'm correct, you mentioned that uh, on the broadcast at Penn State, they said, what, like 12 of the Big Ten teams are in the top 40 on Ken Palm? Yeah, I think I think it was even better than that. I think it was like 12 of the top 10 teams are in the are the, the top of the net, and 12 of the Big Ten teams are in the top 37 in Ken Palm or something like that. So just some astronomical stat that just proves how incredibly tough the Big Ten is this year. It's absolutely brutal. Minnesota in particular has perhaps the most brutal schedule I've ever seen. Uh, Steve, they're going to go play Rutgers here on Sunday. I cannot believe I'm about to say the following things, but Rutgers is a very good basketball team. How do we feel about their chances? Well, they don't tend to play well at Rutgers, and especially during day games, which is what both of these are. They're playing at noon Central Time, 1 Eastern at uh, at the rack. Uh, I think they lost there last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and Rutgers was is, is better this year. Um, than they were last year. It's just a, it's been a tough place to play for teams. Um, it, actually, in general, being on the road for the Big Ten um, has been, I'm going I'm to make these numbers up, but it's something to the effect of like the home teams are 35 and 6 or something like that. Um, it's, right, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's tough this year in the Big Ten to win on the road. Um, the chances, uh, yeah, just not looking great, uh, I, but I think the Gophers are on a roll. They dropped a close one again at Purdue, probably one that they would like to have back and gave away. Um, it's gonna be tough, I think. But they're again, they're coming off two close wins, uh, but they run into this gauntlet of a schedule now. Where yes, they go to Rutgers, then they go to Ohio State, then things get a little bit easier where they host Michigan State, uh, where they play well at home. And I'm being facetious there, but uh, then they go to Illinois, host Wisconsin, go to Penn State. Post Iowa, there's nowhere to hide this year in the Big Ten, and the Gophers now, after this homestand where they went two and zero, are staring down the barrel of six, seven, eight, nine games that are going to be really, really intense. Um, Alex, I'm kind of curious. Uh, we were talking earlier. You were saying that um, the two and zero homestand, Michigan, Penn State, where they took them down, um, that wasn't surprising to you. I'm kind of curious about that. No, not really. Minnesota historically under Richard Tino is actually quite a good team at the barn. So there's that. I thought they matched up pretty well against Michigan and Penn State. They obviously matched up well against Northwestern. And uh, while it is the case that Minnesota gave away a game in some sense and that they were leading and doing their late charge uh, in the game, uh, they also uh, were unfortunately not the beneficiaries of particularly favorable officiating at the end of the game because Marcus Carr was fouled and didn't turn the ball over, that would mean you have a win for Purdue. So they're playing really well just in general as a team. 
I also thought, and it hasn't yet happened yet, I'm very excited for when it does, that both Gabe Kalcher and Peyton Willis should at some point regress upward in their three-point shooting. The offense is regularly giving them wide-open looks. I think against Penn State, I counted that those two players had four wide-open looks. They've had several shots that go in and out or halfway down the cylinder before coming out. So that's something that I thought ahead of this set of schedule would have meant that you'd have a third option. That hasn't materialized. What has materialized, in a very positive note, is Alhan Demir's been playing quite well. And so that's also given Daniel Otura more space in the block because Otura is a good passer, and if help is coming from the weak side, i.e. it's coming off Demir's man, Otura has been able to just sort of turn and find him for pretty easy layups. That's been quite positive. Demir's also hit some threes at points when he needed to. He's done quite well driving the basket, being really direct in north and south. So all of those were put into a situation where I thought that it was going to face favorably. I think those same things, incidentally, are true against Rutgers. Rutgers is really big, if I recall. Uh, Geo Baker is now back, so I think that's going to be a challenging out, especially on the road. Again, sentences that I cannot believe I'm saying. Steve Peichel, I suspect, will be on the top of many teams' lists uh, for every single team that decides it wants to part ways with its coach next, uh, next year. But... I would also second, uh, until Minnesota plays Northwestern on the 23rd of February, they will not play a single team that is uh, below 41 on Ken Palm's top teams. They also play uh, two teams, Ohio State and Michigan State, that are in the top 10 over the next three games, which is ludicrous. Steve, early, uh, early thoughts on your front. Do you think that Minnesota will pull a win against Rutgers? You know, I like to think yes. I think they, yeah, they got dominated by Michigan State on the road. Breslin Center is a tough place to play. I was, I was excited about their performance on the road at Purdue. I think Mackey Arena is also a place where people have a ton of trouble, i.e. Michigan State. Um, I'm feeling confident just from what I've seen. You got, you got Oturu and you got Carr playing at super high levels. And you got two of those pieces who are scoring 20-plus points a game. A guy like Marcus Carr distribu- distributing the ball. Um, I'm of the mind that we're a Gabe Kalisher or a Peyton Willis being competent away from this team being a Sweet 16 team. I can't believe I'm saying that with any iota of confidence, considering where I was at on December 9th after a 20-point loss. But this team looks so mature, and they have such strong anchors at center and at point guard, which is usually two of the weaker points for any college teams just waiting for your wings to come and play when you know that they've been able to do it in the past. I don't know. It, it feels like they're sitting in a position where they can go on a major run, and I don't know that being home or away necessarily impacts how I feel about them playing on any given night, and that's based on where um, where they're coming from after that Purdue, uh, Purdue loss. For sure, all of which is uh, very positive. These are very happy thoughts. We are now going to turn, as is the want in Minnesota sports, to some sad thoughts. Andy, it has been a surprisingly drama-fueled last couple of weeks for the women's basketball program. I'm here to fill our listeners in on that. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it definitely proves the, the the old the old thing. If you follow SB Nation, is that Illinois can't have nice things. Well, Minnesota's trying to make sure they climb up that list. Um, in, in case you haven't been paying attention and you're just listening to this today, um, the Gophers' best player, 
Destiny Pitts, junior guard forward, um, announced that she is entering into the transfer portal on Thursday afternoon, uh, mainly because, and, and this is depending upon whose story you want to believe, but mainly because um, she was suspended for her body language by coach Lindsey Whalen um, at the end of the loss to Northwestern a week ago Thursday. Um, to sort of bring back the full story, um, Pitts and Whalen have not been seeing eye to eye a lot this year. Um, there was uh, a nationally televised game on BTN the weekend before against Nebraska where Whalen basically was trying to give Pitts some advice and Pitts like physically recoiled away from Whalen and, and basically wouldn't go or listen to anything that she had to say. Um, and then he came to the Northwestern game last Thursday where Whalen was trying to get Pitts to play a little better defense on, on Northwestern star player and had already pulled her out of the game once to give her some advice. Um, and she pulled Pitts out again with about seven and a half minutes left in the game. Um, mind you, the Gophers at this point were losing to Northwestern by four points. Um, she pulled her best player out of the game, sat her the rest of the game. Uh, the Gophers would come on to lose that game on a buzzer beater. Um, then it was basically it trickled out uh, a day or two later before Minnesota traveled to Champaign to play Illinois the following Sunday that Pitts was being suspended for conduct unbecoming a teammate. Um, that was when the first inkling of, okay, this is something really not great going on is happening. Um, and, and lo and behold, not only did Pitts not make the trip to Illinois, but uh, the Bellow sisters, Taye and Kiende Bellow, seniors and probably Pitt's two best friends on the team also did not make the trip, um, in which automatically rose the, the red flags. Um, now, this is where things start getting interesting, as, as Lindsey Whalen had her media interview yesterday and said Pitts was still suspended and wasn't practicing, but the Bellows were back practicing and their status for tonight's game, Thursday night's game against Iowa, was unknown. And somebody asked her straight, was the Bellows' absence last Sunday directly related to Pitt's suspension? And she sort of hemmed and went, um, no. Which again, sets up another red flag. Which brings us to Thursday afternoon when Pitts basically declared that she was transferring and very specifically said, um, you know, she wanted to thank her teammates, especially the, the Bellows sisters for basically saying that they were going to sit out last Sunday's game against Illinois and, and protest and not make the trip. So we have Whalen on one hand saying that the Bellows' absence wasn't related, and we have Pitts on the other hand saying specifically the Bellows didn't travel because they thought my suspension was unfair. Uh, needless to say, there's a lot going on in that locker room behind the scenes that I'm guessing we still don't all know about. But uh, things are not good on a team that, up to tonight's game, had lost four straight in a row. Um, and, as we'll get to in a minute, surprisingly or unsurprisingly, depending upon your point of view, uh, things tonight didn't go terribly well for the Gophers either. No, they did not. Uh, the Gophers played Iowa, so a border battle rivalry. were up at the half by about eight points. And then promptly what happened, Andy? Uh, they had a 13-point lead with eight and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and they, can we call it hashtag Wayland now? I mean, I don't want to throw Lindsay into the bus, but the Gophers at one point in the Big Ten season last year, I believe it was six times, blew a at least eight-point fourth quarter lead. 
Uh, tonight, you can add another one onto that list. Minnesota blew a 13-point fourth-quarter lead in the last eight and a half minutes of the game. Iowa went five for nine from behind the three-point arc in the fourth quarter, outscored the Gophers 19-9 to in the fourth quarter. Um, Minnesota had a chance to tie it. Uh, Gadiva Hubbard was fouled with 0.7 seconds left, had two free throws to try and tie the game, send it to overtime. She missed the first one made the second one. Iowa inbound the ball. Game over. Minnesota loses 76-75. That's now five losses in a row to end of the Big Ten. Almost a carbon copy of what happened last year where the Gophers started out undefeated in the in the non-conference, won their first Big Ten game, and then lost seven in a row. Uh, this year they lost their first non-conference game, then won ten in a row, won their first Big Ten game, and have now lost five in a row. So um, Taye Bello did play the second half of tonight's game. She whether I haven't seen any quotes yet, whether she was suspended, I would guess, for the first half. Um, but she did play in the second half. Um, but once again, the Gophers blew a 13-point lead in the last eight and a half minutes of the game, and they now drop to 11 and six on the year. And uh, just like the just like the men's Big Ten, the women's Big Ten doesn't get much easier. So uh, Lindsey Whalen's going to have to work some magic, missing her best scorer. Um, and a probably a fairly fractured locker room going forward if she wants to try and, and keep this team afloat here the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I It's a challenge. One of the things that we had discussed when Lindsey Whalen was hired was that in many ways it's a home run hire and that you're bringing back a legend, you're bringing someone who as a player is really the only reason why the University of Women, Minnesota women's basketball team is worth talking about for a long period of time and obviously had a Hall of Fame career, I would make the argument is in fact the best point guard man or woman relative to their competition to ever come out of the University of Minnesota. So coming back, that's a really exciting person to have coached with one exception. And the one exception was that Lindsey Whalen had never been a head coach at the collegiate or professional level prior to returning. And that was a risk that Mark Coyle was taking. Now, justifiable risk, I think Lindsey Whalen certainly will have a very long rope, not just because of her legend status, but to be blunt, uh, women's basketball at Minnesota is not a revenue sport, though it certainly has the potential to be. There is a lot of support, especially when that team is winning, which means that uh, that's quite beneficial. However, I think questions like this are, one wonders, at least from the outside, the little information, is how much of this is also Lindsey Whalen being a first-time coach and maybe not being able to manage as well as she should. Andy, do you have thoughts on this? Well, yeah, and I think, you know, the, the interesting thing looking at this going forward is, is, you know, Whalen said going into this that she was sort of taking... Um, her coaching cues from, from two of the more influential coaches she's had, which was Cheryl Reeve and, and Gino Ariyama. Um, and, you know, G Gino Ariyama, you can search YouTube body language. He had, he had, a, had about a five-minute speech about body language, and, and basically, you know, he says body language is that important on the court. And, and you know, if you're going to give me bad vibes, I will sit you down. So I think Whalen was taking that lesson straight out of his teachings going into this. Now, the question is, is did it escalate to complete anarchy out of control because as a first-time coach, she didn't know when to sort of tune that back? Or was Destiny Pitts just so frustrated that she took it to another level that couldn't be redeemed? You know, I think some of those exact answers will never find out exactly whose fault it was that it escalated out of control. But I do think you're seeing Whalen take a, a lot of the, 
you know, the cues for her coaching from, from Oriyama and from Reeve basically saying, hey, you know, when you're on the floor, I'm not putting up with that crap. Um, like I said, the question is, is does, does she have the, the tendencies to know, all right, when she needs to rein it in, when she's motivated enough, when to sort of let her player get back to what they need to do on the court? Obviously, in this case, that doesn't seem to happen. Um, but, you know, that's something she's going to have to learn in, in future times if it is on her. And again, we don't know. You know, we've got we've got Pitts' side of the tail from from her uh, transfer notification. We don't have Whalen's side of the story, and, and frankly, we probably never will. Um, Lindsey Whalen doesn't seem like the type that's going to come out and give a press conference and, and throw a former player on the bus. So, um, you know, going forward, it'll be something to watch. But you know, like I said, you, you can't imagine uh, that locker room uh, is too cohesive right now. You've got. You know, several of the young players trying to make their names, and you've got you know, some of the older players, especially the Bellows, who who pretty much publicly have supported Pitts. And I think the only reason why Bello, Taye Bello especially, isn't looking at transferring is she's a senior, and it wouldn't be worth her while. So I think she just wants to try and play out the rest of the season, and um, you know, we'll see over the last 12, 13 games here, uh, unless the Gophers can turn something around and, and get into postseason play, but. Um, it, it may be an interesting uh, stretch six weeks here, I think. Absolutely. A positive that Lindsey Whalen does have going forward is that as of this week, every single member of the incoming freshman class was nominated to be a McDonald's All-American. So that's nice. There's also a transfer from Syracuse, who was a five-star player coming out of high school, never really managed. Uh, to fit as well as she perhaps wanted to at Syracuse, also got injured and so transferred in this offseason, who will come in next year at the five, which is obviously a position of major weakness. It will, I agree very much with Andy that it will be a fascinating thing going forward to see how Lindsey Whalen deals with this because you might have uh, potentially quite a few roster spots open in the offseason, particularly if there's a large rift in the locker room. On the other hand, if this really is sort of a singular player coming in and having a challenge with a coach. That is something that is, in fact, quite normal. On the men's side, the general assumption is, is that somebody always transfers. It is not usually the case in the women's side that that somebody is your star potential uh, player of the year candidate. But these things do happen. Um, so it's something to watch going forward. On a more specific basketball note, it would be particularly good if Minnesota managed to actually hold a lead that they got at half, because that, I think, also is something that, for a young coach, but also in general, is something that I am not totally clear as to why the University of Minnesota women's basketball team continually struggles to put teams away, especially coming out of the half-wing leads. But that is enough basketball talk for right now. Why don't we return to the sport that pays all of our checks, which is football. The University of Minnesota has two new coordinators and potentially will soon get a third or some quality control assistant here in the near future, one of which is a co-offensive coordinator, which is Mike Sanford, who's technically going to be calling the plays, but will be co-offensive coordinator with Matt Simon, who received a title and I suspect a rather hefty salary increase in part based on his long tenure with the program and also his very nice called game at Auburn to sort of cement that co-offensive coordinator slot. But also a new defensive line coach, a guy named Chad Wilt, who comes most recently from Cincinnati, but also with stops at Army and Maryland. Andy, what do you think about this new coaching staff? Yeah, you know, I think the, uh, the Mike Sanford hire is, is going to be an interesting one. 
Um, he, he, his name obviously was not on the radar at all for uh, people who were trying to figure out what they're going to do. And, and, you know, with Matt Simon getting promoted to co-OC, I think that definitely will, uh, you know, assuage some of the Gopher fans' fears. Um, it does appear Sanford is going to be responsible for calling plays, which I think some Gopher fans are um, going to be interesting to see. I know I know our own uh, our Iowa Gopher, Blake, is, is a little concerned about how Sanford's going to call plays. Um, you know, we've got seven months to worry about that to see before before it happens and maybe we'll get a little idea of what he's going to look like come spring but um all in all i think you know he's another young he's a quarterback guy um so hopefully he can continue to work with tanner morgan to just refine in the few last little things he really needs to work on um by the way tanner morgan uh one of the uh top five ranked potential heisman candidates for 2020 10 to 1 if you want to put man, money down on in Vegas on Tanner Morgan to win the uh, Heisman of 2020. So, Hashtag um, take the field on that bet every single day, <laughs> twice on Sundays. Yeah, love, love Tanner, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, um, as, for, as for Wilt, you know, I, I know nothing more than what I've read. Uh, he, if, you, if you look, uh, I believe uh, we tweeted it out yesterday, but uh, there's a video of him uh, working with his defensive line at Cincinnati, and you can see exactly why P.J. Fleck uh, like this guy. He's basically the de- defensive line version of P.J. Black. He's high energy. He's motivating. He's exactly what P.J. Black would want in an assistant coach. Um, he's, he's led some impressive defenses, both at Army and at Cincinnati. Um, so I think it's going to be a good fit. You know, we've been turning over the defensive line position one, one year here, one year there. Uh, who knows if Wilt is going to stick around for, for more than one year, but at least taking a look at this, I think uh, he, he's going to be a pretty good recruiter for the Gophers, and I think uh, hopefully he can, he can continue to coach up our, our younger defensive line, especially our DNs, and uh, hopefully make him have a difference in the fall. Absolutely. Also has been a recruiting coordinator before, and certainly with everything related to college football, but certainly everything related to P.J. Fleck, that is also an important consideration. I think that both of these coordinators are obviously massive check marks because you've never seen them coach University of Minnesota players, but there's definitely a lot to like and potentially some question marks for both, which is unsurprising if your name is not Alabama, Clemson, or soon to be LSU. You don't usually get your picks of perfect coordinators everywhere. Finally, two sports that the University of Minnesota should be very good at, one of which they are, one of which a little bit less so. Andy, as we move close to February, what is the view of the hockey teams at the University of Minnesota? Yeah, we'll start with the positives again. The uh, Gopher women, back to number one in the nation. They swept St. Cloud in the series last week, and we got a favor from uh, Bemidji State taking care of Wisconsin in the Saturday game of their series up in Bemidji. So Minnesota moved ahead of the Badgers again to the number one spot in the nation. Um, But it's going to be tough for them to hang on to it. They've got two tough weeks in a row. They host Ohio State, who's number five in the nation this weekend. Uh, Friday night at Ritter, Saturday outside. Um, if anybody sees the weather forecast for this weekend, it's going to be a little interesting. Uh, windy, snowy. Um, they get to play the number five team in the nation outside at Parade Stadium in Minneapolis. Uh, that could be interesting. And then next weekend, they get to make the return trip to Madison to play the either number two or number one Badgers, depending on how the Gophers do this weekend. Uh, Minnesota took five out of, or no, excuse me, four out of six points from Wisconsin when they were here back in November, so hopefully Minnesota can continue to do that, but the Gophers are sitting pretty uh, in the WCHA and in the country there. The men, they split the series at Michigan State last weekend, losing 4-1 on Friday. Uh, they came back at a 2-0 shutout on Saturday. Big 
career, first career shutout for Jared Moe, the freshman from New Prague. Um, they get sort of a pseudo bye week this week. They host the U.S. under-18 team tomorrow night at Mariucci, which they may play in front of 50 people with the uh, forecasted weather and, and the exhibition game. Um, but they get things going back again the week after. Uh, they get to uh, host Ohio State before they also head to Madison for a series. So um, things don't get much easier for either team, but hopefully the Gopher women can, can hold serve this weekend and, and get ready for a, a massive series in Madison next weekend. Absolutely. And with that, thank you all for tuning in. We'll have plenty of content on the blog, thedailygopher.com, on all of these men's basketball, women's basketball, hockey, and consistently any football-related news should have come out during the dead period. So make sure you come early and come often to the blog. And with that, go Gophers, row the boat, sky you